Welcome to Stovepipes Caravan. Hop on board and ride with me through a haunted forest full of music, magic, spirited conversation, and all kinds of weird, spooky shit. Today, we chat with the occult collector, Calvin Bot Crush. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Stovepipes Caravan. And this is episode two. I hope you enjoyed the first one, and this one's going to be a great one as well. We got such a good guest today, Calvin Von Crush. You're going to hear all about him, but for those who are interested in anything related to the occult, especially Ouija boards, are going to just love this chat that we have. Now, a little bit has changed since episode one. Episode one was actually recorded uh, a few months ago, and let me just give you a more accurate idea of what to expect. Every episode is going to feature uh, some information from me, a song that I write about the guest, and one thing that is going to change is I was going to include a story that I'm writing about the Bell Witch on here. I was going to read that to you on every other episode. I'm still working on that Bell Witch story, but... It just didn't seem to totally jibe with the format of this podcast, which is primarily going to be an interview. And so I just decided to keep working on that, but just to present it to you all in a different way. And I'll keep you posted about that. Recently, I did, just last week, actually release an album about the Bell Witch. There are four songs on there about her. And I'm going to actually play one for you at the end of this episode. You can find out more about me at StovepipeMagic.com. I'm also on Facebook. And you can find me on Instagram at Stovepipes underscore Caravan. So, there's not a lot to say today. It's really just the kind of interview you want to jump in headfirst, knowing as little as possible, because I I found that the conversation uh, and all the great information that Calvin shared with us got more and more fascinating as it went forward. And I knew enough about him to to know a little bit of what to expect, but there's really a a whole treasure chest of information in this guy's mind, and as you're going to find out in his basement, where he keeps his occult collections. And so we're just going to jump in headfirst into this fascinating conversation that we have with him. And he's going to give you, at the end of the interview, uh, pay close attention to some links that he provides and how to find out more about him. All right, without further ado, Calvin Von Crush. Ouija boards, tarot cards, prostitute bones. It's not the kind of basement to enter alone. But it's got history we need very much. Welcome to the basement of Calvin Von Crush. The first question I have is really general and very autobiographical. And that is basically, when did you start having interest in the darker side of life, from horror to uh, the, the occult collections you have? I mean, really everything that that you obviously are interested Ooh. in. <laughs> Ooh, that's pretty pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, so, man, if we really, really, really want to track it, yeah, I 
think um, very early on, mm-hmm. um, we're talking like four or five, um, I think I realized what death was, mm-hmm. and I've kind of always had a fascination with it. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, I've always been a fan of monsters and horror. I think my first real um, introduction to monsters that I remember was Ray Harryhausen's Stop Motion Monsters in oh, sure, Seventh yeah. Voyage of Sinbad. Yep. I think the Cyclops monster is, is by far my favorite cinematic monster of, of all time. It, it's always going to be. Uh, probably second is going to be Frankenstein, Boris Karloff. Um, but dinosaurs, dinosaurs too, I think are monsters, right? Yeah. Um, we can all agree with that. Um, Ray Harryhausen had a Tyrannosaurus Rex that I believe fought the Cyclops monster in uh, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. So, um, they always went hand in hand, me, uh, death and horror and monsters. They've always been a part of my life. And then I grew up pretty devout Catholic. So when you're a Catholic, um, the war of good against evil for your, immortal soul is a real thing. Right. So that kind of opened up the door for the paranormal as well. So it was just a perfect storm of all these little things that kind of created the monster that talked to me right now. Right. So it's funny that you mentioned dinosaurs. I actually read this great article this week, I think on NPR, that uh, kids who show an early interest in dinosaurs end up testing like off the charts and, and, and end up being very thoughtful people. And there's some weird connection between that di- and dinosaurs. And I, also a lot of people I talk with who have similar interests as us credit dinosaurs. So that in itself makes me think that they should fall under the monster category. <laughs> you know, like and, – And listen, I – I'm still obsessed with dinosaurs to this day. Mm-hmm. Like if, if I go travel and there's a dinosaur trackway or there's a museum um, that's got a famous dinosaur specimen, I definitely make my way there. I went to Chicago a couple years ago and I made it a point to stop by the field museum to see Sue. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, man, I was, uh, I was almost brought to tears. Uh, right. That was a, a lifelong mission. And then when I went to California, I had to stop by the La Brea Tar Pits. That was like Mecca for me. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's like uh, bringing bringing out the child in you at an older age. <laughs> you know, and certain stuff just yeah, doesn't, doesn't leave that's, you. That's a good thing too. What's the key to being a healthy, happy adult is finding the joy that you had as a child mm-hmm. and manifesting it and maintaining it as an adult. Mm-hmm. And I still think I am the little kid I was, um, you know, that I grew up as right. uh, as an adult just kind of reined in a little bit. Maybe I don't eat candy for dinner. Well, right. sometimes I do. Sometimes yeah. uh, <laughs> um, I still like to think I pay my bills and I go to work on time. So. Right. right. And, uh, and what is your tattoo artist? That's your, that's your main. I am. I am a full-time tattoo artist okay. and I've been a tattoo artist for 10 years now. Okay. I thought that, I thought that's what it was. Uh, so, and it's funny also that you mentioned the Catholic portion. I know a lot of us are, a lot of us who have occult interests uh, grew up very religiously but didn't end up religiously. But that good and evil paradigm uh, – well, I mean it gives birth to a lot of really good horror. I mean the Catholic uh, <laughs> horror movies are some of the best ones, you know, Exorcist and <laughs> – 
Well, as an omen in the exorcist, yeah. I think fucked so many of us up growing up. Oh, my God, I know. <laughs> but I still, I mean, I would, I would rather watch both of those than, you know, go to church. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> that stuck with me a lot more, uh, you know. Can I get an amen? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> now, one word you used that I found very interesting was the word joy. And I think, I, I find it interesting because I didn't expect to hear it from you uh, because the the emotion I I pair with what we're talking about is usually fear, but, uh, do you see, do you find joy even in things that like horror? I mean, is what's the connection between joy and horror? Because I don't think those two emotions are often paired at least out loud, but it's really interesting that you use that word. So, um, uh, I identify as a, uh, non-believing, uh, nihilist atheist skeptic mm-hmm. <laughs> i yeah. guess if i have to label myself mm-hmm. so to me when we die we just rot in the ground there is there is no greater um mission for a soul or a being there's there's nothing there where yeah. we're just carbon that's slowly rotting mm-hmm. so for me having all these items in my house that are constant reminders of death or the other world or the paranormal, mm-hmm. um, they remind me to celebrate life now right. more, um, and find joy in things. Mm-hmm. And all these items as terrifying as the rest of the world may see them really have opened up so many facets for joy. Mm-hmm. I mean, look how much we've already laughed in the couple minutes that right. we've had this conversation. I, I would say that's legitimate joy. We, right. We're strangers. We, we've never met in person, right. and we are still finding commonality to celebrate joy right. and uh, bring a little bit of light into a dark, dark world. I could, I could so, not agree um, more. And have you noticed that when you meet somebody who has an interest in horror, you usually do start the conversation with a lot of laughter? You know, talking about ridiculous B-horror movies or just like, I mean, it's not like we get together and like light black candles and then talk about how we're going to be dead. <laughs> like, have you found that? I've I've found that when I, <laughs> that, do you know what I mean? Like when you, when you meet somebody who's into that, it, it's a really light conversation <laughs> about death and rotting in the ground and monsters and stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. Some of the best people that I've ever met in my life uh, watch the most terrifying scenes of gore you mm-hmm. could ever hope to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I, I just had a conversation with uh, my buddy earlier tonight. He's my music producer. Uh, he's a fantastic father, a great friend, a hard worker, um, a brilliant musician. And we talked about the movie Bone Tomahawk. And Bone oh, yeah. Tomahawk is a grotesque movie. Right. If you've never seen it and you're listening to this and you really want to be disturbed, go watch Bone Tomahawk. There are scenes in that movie that uh, will turn your tummy. Right. And it, it, the way he was talking about how much he loved this movie, you would never guess he'd be into it because of how gentle and kind he is. So I totally I, uh, agree with you. I think people who love horror are genuinely more grounded in reality and right. appreciate the softer side of life a little bit more. I think because we realize how fragile life really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... But there's, I agree with you there, and I agree with the, the movie reference, Bone Tomahawk. Uh, and you would never know from the cover. I thought it was a Western, and I love uh, Kurt Russell. 
And then all of a sudden it's this horrifying, I mean, it's, it's, it's really more disturbing than cannibal Holocaust <laughs> because I mean, it's a little oh, bit more 100%. updated. I mean, great movie too, but like I, uh, boy, that is, I, I echo your endorsement of that movie. <laughs> that's, a, uh, that's a good one. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, and it's not just that, but as horrifying as I've seen some movies where I truly am scared, but when it's over, it's like a roller coaster. Like it was a fun trip. <laughs> Like the, yeah. and, and there is exuberance there. Uh, so, and you mentioned, do you do music as well? You mentioned music producer that I that I wasn't. I aware do, of. I do. Um, so I actually um, I sing, I play bass, and I write songs for a horror punk project uh, because horror flows through my veins. So I might as well mm-hmm. make music about it too. Right. Um, for a band called Room Twenty One, um, mm-hmm. I'm hoping to put an album out next year. Excellent. Well, I'll make sure to to do some. Uh, we'll, we'll highlight that on the links and such. And so oh, you cool, sing. Yep, you. yep. You sing. And um, what's uh, do you play the instruments on there too? What's the what, what do you do there? Yeah, yeah. I play bass. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, well, that's great. I did not know that. So, so a tattoo artist, a musician, a dinosaur enthusiast, and <laughs> and of course the occult things. Uh, so if. If you, if somebody asked you, it, well, here, let me rephrase that. If somebody was to walk into your home, into your collection of occult materials and such, what would they see? And sort of imagine that you're talking to somebody who has never met you. <laughs> so um, so it, it's really um, an experience which mm-hmm. I've built. Mm-hmm. Um, you come down the stairs and it's kind of a dark stairway. And you come around the corner, and I've, I've built my basement into a small museum space. So I have custom lighting, and I have these little lanterns with battery-powered candles in them. Mm-hmm. I have a little cabinet with a black light set into it with uh, magician's props. I have a bunch of custom shelves with Ouija boards. I've got a two-headed calf. I've got an eight-legged lamb. I've got uh, a painting of an alien abduction down there. Uh, a skeleton of a murdered prostitute. I've got spooky music going. It, it's it's really something that I wanted people to be a little awestruck when they come down there mm-hmm. because um, museums are churches for me. They're they're hallowed ground, and I kind of wanted that um, shock and awe when people came into my home. Right. You would never know it's in my basement. Uh, you it. It just looks like a plain old basement door. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it, it's very, uh, like my neighbors don't even know, and I, I want to keep it that way. So it's in your, Nobody, it's in your house. <laughs> it's it's not a rented yeah. building. It's in your house. Okay. No, no, it's in the basement. Yeah, I and I'll, I'll put some of the, I know the Amazon had the video, and I found that, that video I yeah. mentioned from that book, so we'll, we'll give uh, listeners a visual as well. But um, so you mentioned earlier that you are at the end of the day uh, an, an atheist and such. What are some things about collecting occult materials that has affirmed <laughs> your atheistic beliefs to the to the point of where you're like, boy, I, I, I really hope people don't look at life that way. <laughs> and what are some things uh, that have sort of if, given you a more – spiritual appreciation, and I mean that in the most non-dogmatic sense of the word. I understand exactly what you mean in the spiritual sense. Yes. So, um, 
when I first started bringing these items into my home, mm-hmm. it's because I really felt that I was giving myself a better opportunity to experience the paranormal. Mm-hmm. All the stories that you hear about bringing in Ouija boards or items that people believe are cursed or haunted, um, you're not supposed to play with them uh, because it, it opens so many doors to negativity. So I figure if any home in America should be haunted, it should be my house and it's not. <laughs> right. Now, I think the reason why I don't experience these things is because I go into it a little bit more level-headed and I'm not susceptible to that placebo of belief. Mm-hmm. When other people tell me that they believe their house is haunted, I believe most of them are telling me the truth. Mm-hmm. They really do believe that their house is haunted. Is it a reality that I can experience No, because I'm not susceptible to that form of belief, but they have somehow created a reality in their own mind where their house really is haunted. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's shown me what spirituality really is, whether it's astrology or tarot cards or a belief in the paranormal or heaven or hell it's really what an individual is capable of creating in their own mind. Mm -hmm. So reality is very fluid. It's not something that each person can put a witness test to and have the same thing. Right. I think, and and this is going to sound weird or maybe a bit conceited, but I think to, um, maybe the atheist skeptic who's rooted more in science, that's, that's the proper reality, you know, where things can be measured and tested properly by science where we're not following our hearts. Mm -hmm. But that I know a lot of skeptics who jump to the conclusion that people who believe in the paranormal or believe in a God are, are somehow lacking intelligence. And I find that, um, that is not the case. Mm-hmm. Some of the smartest people I've ever met believe in God. Right. Some of the smartest people that I've ever met um, believe uh, that their personality is shaped because they're a Pisces. Right. Yep. It has belief is a matter of the heart. Intelligence is a matter of the mind. Right. And sometimes it's just what we need to get by because the human condition is a terrible thing to suffer from. Right. It is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. And we all have to deal with it a little bit differently. Yeah, and you shouldn't feel bad about that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I used to fall into the category of thinking that somebody was an idiot for believing in a god or believing in ghosts. Uh, I'm I'm fully aware that I I have to own up to that. It's it's definitely become more of something I I can cherish seeing it in other people because we were talking about joy. Mm-hmm. I can celebrate other people's joy when I see that them celebrating their belief in a religion or them celebrating a belief in the paranormal brings them joy as well. Right. Yes. Yeah. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be your own experience to still find joy in it. You can look at somebody else's experience and from that glean something that's meaningful to you, even if it's, interpreted differently by you than it would be them. 
Now, let me play devil's advocate here right. for a second. If the paranormal is real, which right. I'm very open to, that being real, nobody wants the paranormal to be real more than me. Right. I will quit tattooing in a heartbeat, yeah. and I will hunt ghosts and vanquish demons for a living Yeah. if they're real, okay? Mm-hmm. But I will never, ever, ever find a demon or see a ghost sitting on my couch. I have to get out there, and I have to experience it and meet the people who say they've seen these things and done these things. Mm-hmm. That's what's the important part of skepticism is going out right. there and doing it. Right. If you're going to be a keyboard skeptic and you're just going to call a people an idiot from your, uh, the comfort of your own home, right. you're doing a disservice to skeptics. Yeah. I think that's the, the big problem in the uh, paranormal field right now is when someone hears a skeptic, especially a non-believing skeptic, mm-hmm. they think that I'm out just to prove people wrong. Right. And that's not the case, Justin. Mm-hmm. I'm out there to be proven wrong. Right. I, I want to be the one who's wrong. I don't want them to be wrong. I want them to be right. Mm-hmm. I want ghosts to be real. Right. Because if ghosts are real, then guess what, man? I'm not just rotting in the ground when I die. There's yeah. a chance I get to see people I care about again. Right. I agree. And I've heard people, when I, be, when I personally became more open about my agnosticism, people kind of, a lot of people were nicer to me about it than I expected, but some people were like, well, you just don't want to believe. And I'm like, no, I do want to believe. The reason I don't, as I used to, is because I remember just like thinking like, I want to believe. I just, I want to believe in this narrative. I just do not anymore, <laughs> you know? And yeah. with the supernatural, uh, and it's it's impossible to talk about supernatural without some religious inkling. It's the same thing as that. I've gone to haunted houses and say, spirit, speak to me. And aside from a couple sort of weird Ouija board things when I was a kid, I've seen nothing. <laughs> and I've tried so hard, <laughs> you know? Like, it's, I, I share your sentiments yeah. where... More than anything, you want these things to be true, in part because it means there's might a life extension after Earth. But sometimes life's boring, and you just it would just be really cool to see a ghost or a vampire or Frankenstein pop out of nowhere. Oh, you know, I would love it. can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> so that's just the thing too. Like, uh, I'm going to sign up for whatever side shows its face first. Like, mm-hmm. if it turns out that I got to be a good guy and I got to vanquish demons, mm-hmm. sure, I'll I'll take that route. But if vampires show up and they ask if I want to be a vampire, guess what, man? Sign me up. Yeah. I'll, I'll be a vampire, <laughs> too. Like, <laughs> yep. um, so we're going to touch base on your weird uh, Ouija board experiences in a minute. Yes. Uh, oh, but there was, there was something else I wanted to touch base mm-hmm. on, too. We're talking about so much good stuff, Justin. Yeah. I, I okay, think good. I just blew right past <laughs> <laughs> I told you I'd make oh, this man. good. <laughs> so. Oh, oh, I know what I wanted to tell yeah. you. Uh, you said you were an agnostic, and I, I used to be agnostic, too. Uh, one of my best friends who was an atheist told me that an agnostic uh, is an atheist who is afraid to shit or get off the pot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're right there, buddy. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I, I, I have um, – it's, it's more like how the divine is named and how it's presented to me that I disagree with now, at least as a overarching narrative. But as far as a spiritual realm that you can tap into, uh, I'm open to it. Now, if, you, if, you're, if we were talking about like I'm, – I'm very <laughs> Darwinistic and all that, so – and a lot of that is pretty closely tied to atheism. But uh, I have, I've also heard that atheism or agnosticism is just a waiting room for atheism. I've heard people say that too. 
I guess there's still room for spirituality right. where you can still believe you're connected to a universe or we right. have a soul. It just means there's no God. Right. So, um, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm a non-believing atheist nihilist, so yeah. I, I don't think there's more to us. But I understand that wanting to believe a bigger picture. Right. I, I get it. Yeah. Um, I think my existence is pretty bleak, so right. yeah. <laughs> I, I hope everybody else is, everybody else is right. <laughs> what do you mean by nihilist? I know what the word means, but so, what does uh, it mean to you and your worldview? You know, in the purest sense, it means nothing. Um like, I don't think we're anything greater than animals. I really mm-hmm. think our consciousness is just an accident that happened. Um, you know, we talk about the human condition being a burden, and I really do think so. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's just too heavy and existential for a conversation on a right. podcast. You started with joy and then got to despair, so. <laughs> but again, <laughs> I, I think... I think um, that's part of uh, joy is you got to have that that darkness to celebrate the light, knowing that um, there is that nothingness that awaits. Uh, You can be present in the moment and celebrate the the positivity that you do have right now. Right. Yes. Yes, I can. I can agree with that. And uh, there is a real beauty. I remember going to a funeral funeral or something where the reality of death hit me in the face and I realized, wow, this person had one shot, they did a great job, and now they're going to be worm food soon. I would like to have that same experience. And on a part of that is kind of nihilistic. Like it isn't like a beautiful, over-joyful comment, but to me it is pretty hopeful because you recognize that <laughs> – do what you can while you're here, you know, because you won't be here yeah. forever, and chances are you won't be mm-hmm. elsewhere forever. Yeah, I, I, me and a friend uh, um, constantly have this saying that life doesn't happen on the couch. Yeah. Yep. So you you have to get up and you have to do something. If somebody asks me if I want to go out tonight and experience the world, I'm, I'm nine out of ten times I'm going to say yes. Right. That's good. You can go to work a little sleepy. <laughs> yeah. What do you like to do besides uh, – the focus is going to be on the, the stuff we've been talking about already, but what do you do for fun? Um, you know, so I, when I have more free time, I, I was really into martial arts for a little bit. I'm a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, that, that's a lot of fun. I did a little bit of Muay Thai too. Um, I've really been focused on making that record right now. Mm-hmm. Tattooing takes up a lot of my free time. I, I, I really need to devote more time to drawing. Uh, collecting is, is a big part of life. Yeah. I try to do, um, you know, flea markets, uh, antiquing, okay. uh, even just looking online takes up a big part yeah. of my day. Uh, I can easily spend an hour, hour and a half looking on eBay or looking on, um, other online auction sites. So, uh, I, I always have my hands full of something. Okay. You, you have time for friendship and family though? Or no? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. <laughs> it can be hard sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, I always try to. I try to keep my weekends open for that. Friday uh, and Saturday, I always try to squeeze in some time with friends and family. Uh, and then I, I get to spend all day at the tattoo shop uh, with, with friends that I work with. I love working at the tattoo shop. Mm-hmm. I work at Lucky Soul Tattoo in Woodbridge, Connecticut. Shameless right. plug. Yep. And um, plug every single artist there. Yeah, every single artist there is, is a very good friend. I can hang out with each person individually. Um, they're like family at this point. Is there any connection between how you see tattooing and how you see all the things you've spoken about so far? 
Uh, yet, um, I try to actually incorporate a lot of the imagery that goes into the things I collect into my tattoos. So I collect a lot of, uh, Halloween, vintage Halloween items. Mm -hmm. So I try to do a lot of spooky ghosts and jack-o'-lanterns and then, you know, spooky occult stuff. I like to throw in there too. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, anything related to a uh, sideshow, other monsters, horror, um, it's all encompassing. Okay. I think like, uh, again, um, and, and then uh, of course there's joy when you get to bring somebody joy for, um, a job well done. That, yeah. that fills me with joy too. Yeah. When, when I got my first tattoo and, uh, it's the most. It looks like something Fred Durst would wear. It's totally a tribal tattoo from the late nineties. Uh, but uh, nice. the the guy who did it gave me a pen that said, uh, um, "What is it? Tat. It's like tattoos are forever. Life is not. Get one now before you rot." It was <laughs> like that, that, that has a little bit that falls in line with some of the things that we've been talking about. But <laughs> I remember as an impressionable young kid, that kind of that may have been one of the first steps in the. The agnosticism oh was just, God. you know, I would have been pretty religious at that time, but like, that's a pretty good point <laughs> to, yeah. to, to learn. Um, oh that, man, I'm going to have to steal that and put that yeah, on a t-shirt. Go for it. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. The word Ouija board has come up a lot. Why is it, do you think, that so many people are horrified of Ouija boards? Like I have a guitar that I play when I do music that's a made out of a Ouija board. My friend made it for me. And oh, that's awesome. I have I have scared people in the audience when I pulled it out who were as atheist as you are <laughs> or or uh, or witches or I mean just people who were not Christian but they were horrified at, of it and uh, why do you think people are more scared of Ouija boards but if you pull out like a pendulum dowser I don't think anyone would really be that scared <laughs> right okay so there are it's a twofold answer of mm-hmm. why people are terrified of Ouija boards. Okay. The number one most important reason of why people are terrified of Ouija boards is because how much they have been demonized by popular culture. Mm-hmm. You don't uh, see positive that, movies about Ouija boards. It's always where everything correct. goes wrong when they pull it out. Yeah, nobody ever uses a Ouija board in a movie to help find the missing puppy. <laughs> <laughs> no. It, it always ends up with a little girl possessed uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. spitting out uh, green vomit. Yes, it does. Um, so other items that are technically used in spirit communication uh, that don't have such a negative connotation are going to be planchettes, uh, dowsing rods, pendulums. You, you mentioned pendulum. Uh, these are things all commonly used in paranormal investigation. Mm-hmm. So the second part of this answer um, actually applies to all of those items is that they actually really work. Mm-hmm. Now, Justin, I know what you're thinking here. You're like, this guy doesn't believe in any of this stuff. And right. here he is telling me that these items really work. Yeah. Now, these items don't work because ghosts actually power them. These items are all powered by the idiomotor effect. Mm-hmm. This is something that your brain produces for you when you're expecting a response. Mm-hmm. And this has been. I've, boards really. Oh, go ahead, bud. No, I was going to say the, I've I've read uh, peer reviewed papers about what you're saying. Definitely keep talking about it because it's been a while. But I I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, continue for sure. Wait. So 
when you said that you had a terrifying experience as a child where a, a Ouija board really moved, mm-hmm. I believe you because I know it really did. Mm-hmm. You were expecting a result and your, your brain and your body produced one for you. Mm-hmm. Blind people can't use a Ouija board. You need your eyes to visually move right. two letters. Uh, so I work for the Talking Board Historical Society, which is a historical society that focuses just on the culture and history behind Ouija and Talking Boards. Mm-hmm. And we held a convention called OuijaCon, and we had a team come over all the way from, I believe they were from uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, mm-hmm. um, something like that. And they brought with them a Ouija board with, with special glasses. And these glasses could track eye movement when compared to registration marks on the Ouija board. And in every case of planchette movement, the eyeballs always went to the letter first. Wow. It's so simple, but it's so important. But I haven't – I mean I never would have – thought of that until you said that because it's because you just get on it with all these preconceived notions about demons and spirits but then when you break it down to something that simple it's (laughs) your body moves naturally to certain things first (laughs) oh my lord that's good and and the more that you expect the result and the more you believe in the power of the ouija board's communication the stronger result you're going to get Mm mm-hmm Right. Uh, um, my body will not trigger an uh, idiomotor response with a Ouija board because I don't believe in it. Right. It, it's just not going to happen. I, I've tried a Ouija board. It's never moved for me. So it's interesting because... Now, I've seen other people use a Ouija board who believe, and that right. thing flies all over the place. Yeah. And you've seen this with your own eyes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's because these people really do believe in the power of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, you almost wonder, it, Ouija boards can seem really primitive and kind of like a bygone era. I mean, it's a board with like a very, you know, uh, bygone font and everything. But uh, but really, it in a, in a sense, it's a piece of technology. Like, I don't think many people would describe it that. They describe it as a parlor trick. But, I mean, uh, any sort of medium that you use, any sort of technological device... Uh, we think of it as a very objective, like, you know, I talk to you, you talk back. But these occult tools are like a piece of technology that also require a belief system <laughs> to function, which is pretty mind-blowing when you say it out loud. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> It is. So if we are talking about it as a tool to investigate the dead, yeah. absolutely not. Right. But if you want to talk about it as a tool to investigate the human mind or the power of belief mm-hmm. – yeah, man, what an amazing tool it is. Yeah, and it's still useful. At the useful. end of the day, it's just a board game. Right. It's just a game. It's it's actually less capable of doing damage to your family than Monopoly. Right. More fights have been started over a game of Monopoly than a Wii Sports. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I feel like that's something that you you can make a T-shirt out of that too, <laughs> like sell, sell it at a comic con. So <laughs> yeah, I've never seen anyone flip a table over uh, playing with a Ouija board. No tables have been flipped no. over Monopoly. I mean, but and, and I mean, you think about it. You go to a Ouija board with a, a sort of mix of fear and reverence, whereas you go to most board games wanting to like 
like just beat the shit out of each other <laughs> and, and it's winner takes all type approach uh, that, you know, now that, that to back up just to touch that organization you spoke about, what was the name of it again? Oh, so I, I work for the talking board historical society. Mm-hmm. We were founded back in 2013. I'm one of the founding members. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a director and we do a number of different things to help preserve the history and culture behind Ouija and talking boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have put up a tombstone in Baltimore for the uh, the first ever patent holder, Elijah Bond, uh, the woman who helped name the Ouija board, uh, Helen Peters Noseworthy. We have a tombstone up for her in Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And just recently, a small team of us helped build the world's largest Ouija board, Ouijazilla, on the Salem Common. Uh, in Salem, oh, I shared that article. So you were a part of that. Yeah, I'm in the picture. That's going around in the memes. No shit. Huh. Yeah, I, I shit you not. That's, geez. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say the ratio, just a guesstimate, of people who totally believe in Ouija boards as a spiritual device and those who would have more of your outlook where they do find it interesting, they do believe it works, but it would be in a different – it would be with a different worldview approaching it. I'm not sure how many members we have. I want to say we've got like eight or nine. I'd, I'd okay. have to sit down and write everybody's name down like, to count everybody because okay. uh, it's only just a couple of us directors. It's small. Okay. Um, I only know – um, one of them, uh, one of us, uh, who fully believes, and that is Karen A. Dolman, mm-hmm. and she's actually an active user. Mm-hmm. And I love Karen dearly. Um, me and her are actually going to be working together at Sage Paracon in the UK, mm-hmm. and she fully believes in the power of the Ouija board, and she believes it is actually a positive tool okay. for using uh, for communication. Okay. And we actually haven't had in depth conversations about it. I'm going to be working with her for a couple of days and I can't wait. Yeah. Um, I'm really going to pick her brain. Right. Is, is there anything in, and I ask this both individually, your thoughts and, and what the organization would kind of think, what are some things about the Ouija board that you think society could really benefit from to the point where not having it, not preserving it uh, would be detrimental to us? You know, so I can't speak for the society as a whole because we're all so different on our beliefs on it. Right. Um, But I can speak for myself very clearly in that the Ouija board was made here in America. It's an American invention. Mm -hmm. It's part of who we are. And I think it really helps identify not even just American ingenuity, Mm -hmm. but the way... Just one little thing can really shape culture and belief as a whole. Right. I mean, people are terrified of the alphabet. Give me a break. I know, right? <laughs> yep. And and we forget that. I mean, uh, I know the roots of the Ouija board are, are deeper than uh, Parker Brothers, but I mean, wasn't it wasn't the first one that really sold a lot? Like Parker Brothers are one of those games that gaming companies that makes all kinds of completely non scary games too. Like you can buy it at Toys R Us. <laughs> Ouija boards, oh yeah, I, think, yeah. I mean, it's, Walmart had a stack of them for yeah. a, a good long while on, on the end caps. You've got to remember the Ouija board's been around since the 1890s, yeah. um, officially as the Ouija board. We we have an inkling that it may have been around since the 1850s in yeah. some form or another. Right. So it's yeah. 
it's so fascinating that it could have been around for so long and had such a positive name. Yeah. And then all it took was just a little bit of bad press. And, right. and there's been bad press from the very beginning. Right. The first woman to ever kill herself because of a message from a Ouija board is actually buried in my home state of Connecticut. Really? She's buried in Bridgeport. Yeah. Wow. So it, there's there's always been um, negativity associated with the Ouija board. It's always had but some bad press. this goes back to, oh yeah, but this goes back to the power of the human mind. Right. So this woman was already suffering when this happened. Yeah. You know, there's there was already some underlying uh, mental illness for her to communicate this to herself. Right. Isn't it funny to think that if it was somebody who did not struggle with a mental illness and was just by nature thoroughly optimistic we might have a totally different narrative of the Ouija board today a hundred percent a hundred percent right it's just like so um, this is really big with paranormal investigators mm -hmm. there's no difference between trying to communicate with a tape recorder asking for EVPs mm -hmm. saying is anybody there versus putting your hands on a planchette and asking, is anybody there, right? right? It's the same thing. I, I guess the uh, difference would be the intent behind right. why you're communicating. Right. So especially with a Ouija board, knowing that it's powered by the mind, if you are going into a Ouija board session and you are terrified, chances are you're going to get a terrifying right. Ouija board session. Mm-hmm. There are people who have used Ouija boards to communicate with extraterrestrials. Wow. Because they, yeah, it, again, this is such a rich history wow. that I, so I many never people heard that. overlook. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, I believe there was a cult who actually uh, <laughs> put out Ouija boards that believed they were communicating with extraterrestrials, and one of our directors has one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a Ouija board with more of a an alien motif? Uh, not so much an alien motif where it was like little green men. Okay. They just believed that it was um, a form of okay. higher communication with these beings. Yeah. I mean, there's a Ouija board game that is made for picking lotto numbers. Mm -hmm. There's a Ouija board game that is made for picking sexual positions. Yep. And one of the one of the earlier Ouija boards I found uh, just reading about was made to help couples flirt. <laughs> like yeah. it required you to uh, sit closer touching knees and your hands are both touching the planchet, you know, so you can get a little bit flirty if it's like an awkward dating party or something. <laughs> yeah. Like from the very beginning, the Ouija board was a dating game. Mm -hmm. It was made for men and women to sit closer to each other with their knees touching, which was very taboo at the time. Yep. We're talking early 1900s when that rule was uh, first initiated. It was it was taboo for people to sit that close and then to have your hands that close on a planchette. Yeah. That was that was uh, that was risque. Well, I've I've heard all these I've heard all these uh, uh, articles where the writer con is concerned that uh, dating apps take away that face to face element when it comes to partnering with people. It's like, hey, maybe maybe the alternative is Ouija boards. <laughs> maybe that will be the, the answer to that that query. <laughs> yeah, forget Netflix or no Ouija board and show. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we we did mention that it would be interesting and in some way useful if the narrative of the Ouija board wasn't such bad press. At the same time, I do like a lot of horror movies that have Ouija boards 
causing all the problems. So it's hard for me to want to totally have just a positive narrative of the Ouija board. Yeah, it's it's a double-edged sword for me as well because being a fan of horror and being yeah. a fan of things that terrify people, right? But also being an advocate for education right. and letting people know that this isn't something to be terrified of. Like, am I am I doing a disservice to something that I, I love that scares people? Right. <laughs> And I got to tell you, Justin, it doesn't matter. I can sit there and tell somebody for an hour, give everybody all right. the evidence, all the evidence that I know of how a Ouija board has always been just a game and this is right. how it works and this is why you shouldn't be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that conversation, somebody will still go, it doesn't matter. I'll never touch one. Right. I know. <laughs> yeah. And also... And then they tell you that you shouldn't either. Like I remember telling a woman who had who t- was a she was a Buddhist. She was not a theistic Buddhist, and she told me that she go. I said I play a Ouija guitar. She goes, I would be careful about that, and I kind of laughed it off. And she said no, and then told me a story about how the Ouija board predicted the death of one of her friends, and she still had guilt. She kind of believes that she maybe caused the death, even indirectly, by using a Ouija board. Yeah, and she wasn't a crazy. I mean, it sounds like a crazy thought, but I mean, it was not just like some, you know, bird brain spouting off shit. It's like she really believed this, and uh, yeah. and and I've had that. I mean, as a kid, I had some fear of the Ouija boards. That was part of the mystique, you know. They say I'm scared to use it, so I'm going to use it. <laughs> so. Like you mentioned, uh, I get it, man. Collecting, you know, one thing you mentioned that you want to uh, inform people and educate them about these tools, but you also like horror. The thing that I found interesting about seeing your collection on TV is that I felt like it was educational, but the horror element wasn't lost because you're walking into a deep <laughs> uh, basement covered with occult objects, which have a definite tie to the occult. So it's, I think the experience itself allows for the mix of education and having some good, scary fun. Well, thank you, man. That, that was actually a, uh, a very heartfelt compliment. <laughs> and I, I, um, I've been told that by other people too, yeah. that I try to maintain, um, an objective, uh, view when I'm giving people the information. Like I try to let people make up their minds, um, uh, without force feeding, um, my belief that it's all bullshit, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so you've, it's all bullshit, but you said you have found yourself becoming an, a more empathetic, uh, atheist than you started out. I mean, has, has the occult stuff helped you to do that? Because I know what you mean. A lot of my friends, and I had a little bit about this when you first stop believing in a certain religious narrative, you almost become an evangelist, for atheism, and when you think of evangelists, right. it's not a positive thought. You think of people knocking on your door and telling you what to believe, and then making you feel bad when you don't. Yeah, when so when you go from a position of belief uh-huh. to a position of disbelief, I think there's a bitterness, right? Yeah, like you feel lied to, and you kind of lash out a little bit, right? So it's it's like a teenager running away from home. Right. At first, you're just like, you know, I'm I'm on my own. I don't need anybody. Yes. Yeah. And then, um, and some of it's is totally can, justified too. Like we are responding to some, you know, homophobia. I mean, the list of things that religion has has makes you angry for its sins is totally legitimate. So, <laughs> like, but you're now, right. There is now, also for that who's kid listening, thing. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I got to tell you, I loved being religious. I loved mm, it. I, really? I, I loved going to church. I loved sitting in the front row. I loved singing praise to God. I loved huh. going to the special classes on Sunday. It was such a moving experience to me. I liked being closer to God. Yeah. But adversely, I had a lot of that Catholic guilt where right. I just thought maybe I'm not worthy of God and I'm going to go right. to hell. So that's a lot for a little kid, it man. Is. Like. We're talking five, six, seven, thinking I'm going to go to hell. That's just too much. So um, when I finally got older, there was definitely that bitterness for that. Right, yeah. Um, I, I don't think I ever had any kind of homophobia or fear of people instilled okay. in me. But okay. it was it was definitely um, the um, that Catholic guilt right. and, and fear of not being worthy that definitely made me, made me angry. Right. But so – there is prayer, there's meditation, there's self-actualization. I think they're all the same thing. Mm -hmm. And occult practices, even witchcraft or, you know, a little spell, mm -hmm. an incantation, uh, rituals, they're all the same thing, Justin. Yeah, they they're are. all little bits and pieces right. that help people focus energy. Right. Um, and, and when I say energy, I don't mean a mystical force. Right. I really don't. Cause yeah. I don't think that's, that's a thing at all. Right. Um, I meditate. I just meditated today. I was having a rough day. Yeah. I went to the park. I sat under a tree in the shade mm -hmm. and I just laid there, man, and focused on my breath. I took my shoes off and just like right. connected with the planet a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it was like a mystical connection, but right. I just needed to be out in nature and catch my breath. Right. Yep. And and there's just there is a magic in that, and and I see how much strength that gives people, and it lets me back off and not be an evangelical atheist. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and I, I, there's this great uh, Damien Eccles quote. He says, uh, "Where your attention goes, your energy flows," and that to me is a good. I feel like that's a really good grounded understanding of energy. That's like. Not too up in the clouds, but has a real effect wow. on on how you live your life and what you see, and uh, and probably your day was better because you took that time to meditate, right? Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. So, do, do you do you think this? I feel like this question is could you could teach an entire college class about it, but like, do you think there is some connection between like a Catholic liturgy with all of its bells and whistles and then a seance that's covered with spirit boards and pendulum dowsers and chant, you know, do you think there's a connection? <laughs> so I just, um, did a mini lecture before the screening of Mark of the devil mm -hmm. in Brooklyn at a beautiful theater called the Nighthawk. And I had said that Catholics were occultists. <laughs> and I actually got somebody who like gasped in the audience. <laughs> like I'm, I'm assuming, I have to assume that they were a Catholic and that me saying that was heresy to them. Right. Yeah. Like they didn't understand that I grew up Catholic and I feel like I, I had grounds for saying that, right. but there is so much ritual mm -hmm. and, you know, the incense and, you know, keeping little bits and pieces of saints with you right. and the rituals behind the rosary and the iconography and praying the saints. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, like, 
you're you're right. Like the whole a mass to to get God and Jesus to mm-hmm. listen to you more. I would a hundred percent agree that yeah. there is so much behind um, that versus you know a séance or something like that, which are rooted in ritual too. Right. Yeah. And um, you know, I grew up uh, Baptist, but I had a I had a time where I was pretty involved with the Pentecostal church. And yep. I remember being at a ceremony where they spoke in tongues, and I was hor- I was more horrified of that than I was of the Ouija board ceremonies I did the year before when I was like backslidden, you know, like with, with my my drug phase of t- teenagers when I fell from the Lord, as they would call it. Uh, but I found someone speaking in tongues way more scary than the Ouija board experience, which I always thought that those formative experiences of the Ouija board is why I'm still interested in them in a healthy way, you know. <laughs> yeah. But but there's but a lot of people would um, a lot of Christians would be less, especially within Pentecostals. They would be not at all horrified of speaking in tongues. But if you brought a Ouija board, like hey, you spoke in tongues, I'm going to use a Ouija board. You would probably get kicked out of that small group, <laughs> you know. With yeah, yeah. Are there any other tools besides the Ouija board that you find interesting that aren't? in the popular conscious as much like little tools that a lot of people, everybody knows about Ouija boards. Are there any tools, um, uh, occult tools that you find really interesting, but a lot of people don't know about them? Yeah. So the planchette, um, which, you know, every Ouija board has a planchette, but the planchette itself, um, gets its name from its cousin, the automatic writing planchette, mm-hmm. um, which came out in 1853. So it's essentially a plank with wheels and a pencil that would write out messages. Mm-hmm. Now, that's never been demonized by popular culture. It just simply has not. Mm-hmm. And it's been around for so much longer than the Ouija board. Right. And I think a lot of people forget about that. Um, my other really favorite spirit communication device that a lot of people don't know about, which blows my mind that so many uh, paranormal investigators don't know about it, is the spirit trumpet. So a spirit trumpet is essentially um, a cone-shaped device, which is usually three pieces of rolled tin, and it is a form of physical mediumship where ectoplasm would come out of the medium and it would attach to the trumpet and it would create a voice box and the trumpet would amplify the voices of the dead. Wow. Now this is usually done in complete darkness because it was said that ectoplasm was so photosensitive that if light touched it, it would disappear. Right. And a lot of times these spirit trumpets would have a luminous band on them so they would glow in the dark. Hmm. Now, Justin, you're a smart man here. You're you're catching on. I already heard an O. Um, What does that tell you about something that has to be used in complete darkness? There is room for fraud. Yes. Yes. So um, that luminous band, as long as someone's hand didn't pass in front of it, uh, it would make it look as if it were floating around the room Hmm. um, unaided. So... Um, there's a couple uh, really good examples of floating spirit trumpets in fake photos. If anyone wants to hit Google and look them up, yeah. they're beautiful images um, of ectoplasm coming out of people's noses or wow. mouths or belly buttons. Yeah, spirit trumpets. Oh, okay. And I love spirit trumpets. And you have some of those in your collection? Oh, yeah. I've got a good dozen or so. Wow. My last question 
and I've worried you've been asked this a million times, but it's the one I'm most curious about, and I guarantee a lot of my listeners are. Have you ever seen anything whatsoever that at least gave you some pause in regards to the existence of a supernatural realm? Like a a pen picked itself up and moved. I mean, anything at all. With my eyes, I have never seen anything. And you live in a house surrounded by that stuff. Surrounded. I, I've never seen it. Um, do I have a couple coincidences mm-hmm. that could lead people to believe that there was something going on here? Mm-hmm. The truth is, yes, Justin, it does happen here and there. But there are logical explanations for anything that happens. Um, every once in a while I will have some problems with the lights down in the basement, but there's no reason to believe that it's not just something electrical. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've literally stood underneath my lights and told people that, um, nothing ever happens down there. I think it's all bullshit. And then the lights will flicker. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely happened. Yeah. Um, I had a coworker over who is actually a practitioner of Kimbanda. And he believes he's sensitive and he um, can sense spirits and feel things like that. And I had him over and we went down to the basement and I asked him if there was anything down there that he uh, did not like mm-hmm. or, um, you know, just felt uh, uneasy about. And he pointed to the back corner and said there was something in the back left corner that made him uncomfortable. Wow. And I told him there was nothing back there. It was just my hot water heater. Hmm. Well, I shit you not, the next morning when I woke up, I went and hopped in the shower. My hot water heater had failed in the middle of the night, and the water was cold. My goodness. So I called my landlord, and the landlord said that in the 10 years of owning this building, that hot water heater had never done that, and he was actually pretty amazed that uh, it had quit, and he turned it back on. So, like I said, coincidences do happen, and we ended up having to replace the whole hot water heater. So it's never happened again since we've got it replaced, so it's not like there's some dark energy in that back corner uh, terrorizing my uh, hot water heater. Right. Um, Do I really think it was something negative? No, I I think it was just a perfect storm of coincidences. Right. And, and that's probably that probably has happened in other homes where there's not an occult device in sight, and they wouldn't have even correlated that. However, it does make right. it does make the story more interesting. You telling me that I'm on the edge of my seat. If some if my neighbor said, "Hey, my hot water heater did this," I'd be like, "Oh, that's fascinating." <laughs> right, but just the fact that uh-huh. my friend who believes in this stuff told me that something was going on in that back corner. And then next time, oh, <laughs> yeah. so here's another, here's another funny, um, I'm sitting here right now and I have a cat. She, her name is Elvira, Meowth okay. of the Dark, and <laughs> she, she just came around the corner and she stopped dead in her tracks and stared off at something. Mm-hmm. And as we're talking about something scary, and it was enough for me to like make my hair stand up on my arms. I'm like, what is my cat staring at? She saw the reflection in my brand new luggage that mm-hmm. I just got. I got hard case luggage. So she saw her own reflection and got scared. So, like, that's <laughs> that's what you have to do. You have yeah. to slow down and think about what's going right. on and not just jump to conclusions. Right, yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> I could not agree more. When you're in the moment, that's another story, though. <laughs> but like, right, right. But that's what usually leads to to people thinking something happened. Let me tell you uh, my Ouija story um, of what happened. Uh, when I was my first time, I used a Ouija board. It was with a friend uh, who is actually in prison now for murdering two people. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, well, you win for story of the night. <laughs> there's a true crime uh, documentary I will send you about him. And I wasn't. I mean, I smoked a lot of pot when I was, you know, 18. But I wasn't in a whole lot of trouble at the time. There was. I was. There was no indication that he would be a murderer. But uh, we used a Ouija board downstairs. Uh, for the first time, and it was moving around and enough so that we felt like we had contacted a spirit. And at the time, both of us would have been uh, at least raised Christian and still had a lot of that in our worldview. Well, we started talking to a spirit, and we said, who are you? And it said, yearbook, uh, 13. We put it to uh, the yearbook, and it landed on the picture of a person who we both knew, my friend was close to friends with him, but a person we knew who had died in a car accident two years before. Uh, wow. And neither of us, I do not, I mean, it's easy to say maybe he was, He. I do not believe my friend knew the exact page number of the person. <laughs> I really don't. Right. And like he was, he, he truly was shocked and so was I. And uh, my friend even said that the way that the spirit talked to him, because I remember this, the spirit, quote unquote, um, kind of even having like a sense of humor conveyed to the board. My friend was like, that's kind of this reminds me of the sense of humor that my late friend had. And so that in itself, again, you could you could easily explain this logically. That, right. was, that was the first one. So we believe we spoke with a, a friend. Um, the other one was not for me. It was my dad. When my dad in the sixties, he had like an aunt who was pretty into, uh, esoteric things. And my dad used the Ouija board just as kind of a joke. And, um, but he said it was moving around. Uh, and he asked who was going to win the, like the, some golf tournament, the PGA open. And it predicted the name of a golfer who I guess was, there was no chance in hell anyone thought he was going to win. And the next day it ended up being that golfer who won. (laughs) Wow. So, so it predicted a sports thing. It's amazing. I know. You know. So here's here's the funny thing about like stories too. Yeah. Um, which is is one of the hard hard times I have. Um, every time a story is told, yep. the brain changes it. You know, it, it's the human brain is the easiest thing in nature to fool. Right. So even even when I tell a story, I realize that. I'm reshaping it every mm-hmm. time I tell it. There's so much more going on than you just conveying facts and making them interesting. Like there's a whole human dynamic that <laughs> that's why you can't just easily separate truth from fiction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I always yeah, tell ahead. people like if you're, if the human brain is capable of so many shortcomings mm-hmm. and by shortcomings, I mean, um, abnormal psychological disorders, mm-hmm. such as, um, you know, anorexia, body dysmorphia, um, even like, uh, severe forms of OCD, schizophrenia. We know that the brain can do all those things. Mm-hmm. We've seen it. Right. We know there's treatments for it. What makes you think that your brain can't be wrong and think of a ghost mm-hmm. or you think you saw, yep. you know, why, why would you think 
that is right, but all the other things, um, you know, right. could be right too. Right. You know, hey, think logically for a second. And just go. Maybe my brain messed up. We're getting pushback from like academic communities who just kind of laugh off you preserving Ouija boards. Even though the reasons for doing it could be very similar to their reasons for encouraging academia and colleges and things of that nature. Uh, no, uh, believe it or not, I, okay. I just got interviewed by Antiques Weekly earlier today. Oh, okay. And Antiques, yeah. So huh. Antiques Weekly um, wants to do a little article on me because I'm a collector under the age of forty, and they think it's a good thing that young collectors are collecting antiques at all right. and they actually think it's really cool that I'm collecting things oh, related cool. to the occult and paranormal okay. um, and um, there's been a couple of different um, major museums who have been interested in um, I know Bob Murch's work Bob is the uh, director of the Talking Board Historical Society mm-hmm. um, I believe he's had talks with the, the Smithsonian as far as their publication goes um, and they had talked about doing a possible exhibit there. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Strong Museum of Play, which is a beautiful museum dedicated to uh, games and play up in New York. Hmm. And they want to do a Ouija board exhibit. Oh, great. Jeez. So those are both fantastic academic institutions, yeah. and they fully support what we do. Oh, excellent. Um, but that's as far as Ouija boards. Yeah. Um, and I actually did an exhibit uh, a couple years back, I think in 2014, with the Mark Twain House and Museum here in Hartford, Connecticut. And it was on, uh, it was called Spiritualism, Seances, and Sam, mm-hmm. Samuel Clemens is Mark Twain's real name. Mm-hmm. And okay. it explored the relationship of Mark Twain and spiritualism back in the day. And they understood the importance of the occult on early American icons. I mean, uh, Abraham Lincoln's wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, had seances in the White House. Right. Yep. And I've, so, I, I've heard whether, rumors whether Ronald like Reagan's not, wife, too. part of our culture. It is, yeah. Like, uh, I, I, it may have been, I, I can't remember if it was, but I've, I've heard that Ronald Reagan's wife had some interest in tarot cards or, you know, uh, like, it, it's definitely not, <laughs> there's a lot of occult history in places you would never expect it, like the White House, for instance. <laughs> like the- I, I believe Ronald Reagan and his wife both um, consulted an astrologer huh. when making major decisions. Wow. Like, the decisions that ran our country. Mm-hmm. That blows my mind. I know. <laughs> yeah, and it's easy to, to just write it off as kind of, crazy thing that the powerful people to do and that there might be a little bit to that but there is something innate in human nature too that makes us ask the universe to, for direction so here's uh, here's my my last question because my my phone is <laughs> at about five percent so otherwise i talk all night with you thank you so much a for for doing this Listen, um, hey i had a great time man anytime you want me on just let me know my last question is as best you can in Let's say somebody was talking to you who was horrified of Ouija boards, but um, you wanted to convince them that there were some positives about it and you wanted to kind of calm their nerves a little bit. Um, what would your elevator speech to them be? Well, I would tell them that they've been a major part of my life for the past 10 years and not once have I experienced anything other than joy because of them. Um, it, it, and like I said, even just now, the laughs that we've had, uh, 
a big part of them are all because of Ouija boards, man. It is. Yeah. Everything, the, the, the uh, conversation between two strangers outside of Facebook circled back to joy. And our starting point was horror, death, nihilism, no God. <laughs> Basements full of occult materials and dead uh, prostitute skeletons. and But it all comes back to joy, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, which which is kind of, which makes the, the fact that uh, Ouija boards are at the end of the day a game to the point where 100%. game companies put them out kind of, kind of beautiful and, and, and adds to that joy. Three wholeheartedly. <laughs> well, good. Before we sign out, is there any websites of your own, uh, Instagrams, whatever, that you'd like to point our listeners to? Yeah, I would love everybody to go to www.tbhs.org and please check out more of our mission and what we get into. Mm-hmm. And if you are on Instagram, please follow me at The Occult Collector. And if you have Amazon Prime, there is a free episode of The Occult Collector, my show from Biddy Space up there right now. Mm-hmm. You have no excuses not to check that out. <laughs> Justin, thank you so much for oh, having me on. You thank ever need you so me much. again, let me know. Oh. I, I most certainly will take you up on that, and I hope I can use a Ouija board with you someday, okay? I'm from Maine, so yeah, it's, it's, it's not impossible. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you're ever driving through Connecticut, you let me know. You can stop by. I'll give you a private tour. Oh, would love that. All right. Hey, thanks again. Have a good night, man. Yeah, you too. She's the bell of the ball, dear. She's the dark in my night, haunting up in my bedroom. Haunting all my insides And the rumors and legends Tell of devil dogs that Come to her when she's calling And they jump in her lap So we drink to the midnight And to the witching hour May she fill us with her love May she haunt with her power Oh, a bird flies above us Looking like a dark, twisted dream As we dance to the music I'm afraid what the evening will bring Well, the forest is deadly And the forest is wild Filled with spirits that beckon The names of my bride and my child But the witch in the window Looks deep into my eyes I'd shake hands with the devil If she came to my bed for the night So we drank to the midnight And to the witching hour May she fill us with her love May she haunt with her power Oh, a bird flies above us Looking like A dark, twisted dream As we dance to the music I'm afraid what the evening will bring
So my son, I warn you If you walk to your house in the night And you see a dog snarling Or a nightmare that flies in the sky Better run for the heavens Better hide in the earth She will darken your daydreams As you fall deeper in love with her So we drink to the midnight And to the witching hour May she fill us with her love May she haunt with her power Oh, a bird flies above us Looking like a dark, twisted dream As we dance to the music I'm afraid what the evening will bring I'm afraid what the evening will bring I'm afraid what the evening